You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Okay, well we're now four weeks into us having two services on a Sunday morning, and it's going really well so far. We're delighted at the way in which uh, it's all ran so smoothly, and people who are uh, visitors amongst us just getting a really great welcome as we've made that bit more room at the table. Um, We also want to just say a massive thank you to those who have really stepped up into various serving teams. One of the great things about us going to two services is that it's created more opportunities for people to serve, and we estimate that there's about 30 to 40 people now uh, more serving than there were before we went to two services, and that is fantastic. So thank you to all of you who have stepped up into that. There's still other things that you can get involved with if you think, I want to help serve on a Sunday morning, whether it be one week in four or even less frequently than that, there's things that you can do. So do speak to us and say, I'm good at this, or I would love to do this, and we'd love to find a place for you to do that. Okay, just another thing to say before I get into today's message is that on the 13th and 20th of March, we're having a special offering for our building. Now, um, those of you who've been around in the church for some time will know that we have been uh, in long-running considerations and negotiations with the local council about what we're going to do with this building. We've outgrown it. That's why we've gone to two services. And uh, in the longer term, we do believe that God would have for us a bigger facility. And at this time, we're really praying and considering whether that's going to be here or at another site. Before we even make that decision, we want to have a bit of money in the bank so that we actually can be taken seriously by the council and also by anyone that we'd be looking to um, build with. So uh, we're looking to raise £100,000 in March, which is a huge amount of money, but I do believe we've got a huge God uh, who can help us in that. So the 13th and 20th of March, we're looking to raise £100,000. If you're someone who's quite last minute by nature, then you're probably um, on the 13th of March, sort of five minutes before you get to church, think, oh no, it's the building offering today, and I haven't got anything, and you'll probably run to a cash machine, and it'll be quite a panic. Let me save you that panic and suggest that even before that date, And before the 20th as well, you actually think about what can I give? Speak to your spouse if you're married. Consider, pray together, how can we um, give into this and come ready um, before the day to give generously to what God's doing? I do believe we've got an exciting future together as a church. And so this is a big part of, of our future together. Okay, today we're continuing our Sex Etc. series. And uh, today I'm calling this talk Single in the City. Before I... Um, continue, can I just get a show of hands as to who has heard a message on singleness before, either in this church or in another church? Just a quick show of hands. Yes, it was similar in the nine o'clock service, about a third or just under a third. Not everyone has heard uh, a message on singleness before. And it's important that we preach on singleness because the Bible speaks about singleness. And today I'm speaking to you as a married man, and some of you might think, how can a married man speak on singleness with any authority? I'm speaking from the Bible today. And uh, I'm hopeful that it will be very encouraging for many of us here. Okay, today I'm going to tackle three myths surrounding singleness, and then I'm going to present four challenges at the end. Are you ready to be challenged? Good. Uh, Last week, a whole bunch of us, 18 to 30s, were at an event called Sent in Norwich, and uh, we had about 35 from Hope go along to that. And the first message was all about Jesus turning over the tables in the temple, Jesus had clocked that there was some stuff going on in the temple that wasn't good. And he went in and he turned the tables over and cast people out who were up to no good in there. And uh, the message that we heard was that we as Christians, and that's many of us here, are temples of the Holy Spirit. 
And sometimes God lays something, lays his finger on something in our lives, turns over the tables and shows us that actually we need to change in some areas. So these challenges that I'm bringing later are from the scriptures. And uh, I hope that they will not leave you feeling crushed, but actually knowing that God as a loving father brings challenge when, uh, when we need to be challenged. Okay. So in order to prepare for this message, I've asked a few of my friends from in this church, but also in other churches as well, who are single, as to what are some challenges and some good bits about being single. And I'll start off with uh, a young guy who's not part of this church, part of another church, says the following. It's often felt that the Bible advocates marriage over singleness, that somehow a single lifestyle is plan B after attempts at finding a spouse fail. A lady who's in this church said to me, For years, I've felt like a second-class citizen in the church because I'm not married. I have been made to feel in church that I've failed in life because I haven't found a spouse. So, first myth that I'm going to dispel this morning is that singleness is always only plan B. Would you like to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7? It's a letter that was originally written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Corinth in Greece. You can find it in the second part of your Bible in the New Testament. Chapter 7, that's the big number. We're just going to read the first couple of verses of this. Paul writes this. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is what, something that they had written to Paul. And he says this. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. We've got to look at what's going on here. You need to understand that uh, Paul had been in, in various exchanges with the church in Corinth uh, by letter because they were in a bit of a mess. There were people in this church um, who were paying prostitutes. There was a man in this church who was sleeping with his mother-in-law, we learned from this letter, and rather his stepmother, not his mother-in-law. Um, there was people taking each other to court in this church. There was all sorts of arguing going on. The poor were discarded and not taken care of. And uh, there was all sorts of mess going on. Even in their Sunday morning meetings or whenever they gathered on a Sunday, it was a bit chaotic. Paul says to them, your meetings do more harm than good, which is a pretty harsh report. So this church was in a bit of a mess. And one faction in the church had said this, because we're getting so many things wrong in the area of sex, let's not have sex at all. Married people don't have sex. Married people live a, a sexless marriage, live a chaste, aesthetic Sexless, sexless marriage. That was what they were advocating for. And Paul said, no, that's not how you to do it. That's not how it's to be played out. Sexual immorality will be curtailed as husbands and wives have lots of sex. So the next few verses after this are about husbands and wives having plenty of sex. But then later on in verses 6 to 9, let's read on. Paul says this, now, <clears throat> as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish all were as I myself am. We're going to find out what he means by that in a moment. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that, if it is, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul here has revealed that he's single and that it's good to be single. In fact, he furthers it and suggests that singleness is a gift, a gift that you automatically have unless it's replaced with the gift of marriage. So this begs the question, if you're single, are you able to control yourself? Are you able to exercise self-control 
in the way of your sexuality. If you can't, if you're so frustrated at your singleness that it's doing your head in, if you're getting to the point where you're sinning sexually, then Paul's advice here would be to seek to be married, to seek a husband or wife. But then we read on a little bit more. Verses 25 to 28. Now, concerning virgins, and this is a a word that Paul used to describe single people. Concerning virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, and we're going to look at what that is in just a moment, in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So Paul's preference from these verses he's read is that if if one can manage it, it's best to remain single. He He holds marriage in very high regard. You've got to understand that. This is the same guy who wrote the verses in Ephesians 5 that we often quote at weddings and so on. These beautiful, poetic verses about marriage and how it's like the relationship between Jesus and his church. He holds marriage in very high regard. But we've seen here that he holds singleness in very high regard as well. So is it the case that the Bible teaches that marriage is plan A and singleness is plan B? I think not. So Paul says it's good to remain single. He says in the light of the present crisis, it's good to remain as you are. What was this crisis that he was going on about? We simply don't know. It could well have been an impending famine. That's what some historians and Bible scholars say, that there was a famine coming, and it was best for those who were single to remain single. They just got to look out for themselves. We don't know if it could have been persecution that was coming to the church in Corinth. It could well have been simply the state that this church was in. This this church was in a bit of a mess, and so Paul's saying, in in light of the present crisis, it is better to remain as you are. We don't know what the deal was, but Paul says... Singleness is a gift. It's not plan B. It's not something to embrace only when plan A has failed, trying to find a spouse. So we've dispelled that myth already. We've only really looked at a few verses. But where have we got this myth from? It's not from the Bible because Jesus lived a single life and was extremely effective for God. I'm sure we can agree. The Apostle Paul, who we've read from, was a single man probably the most effective Christian missionary there has ever been. The Apostle John, who wrote a whole bunch of the texts in the New Testament, single man, very effective for God. Where have we got it from? We haven't got it from the Bible. I think we've got it from two places. Firstly, we've got it from our culture. If you wind the clock back three weeks, I kicked off this series and talked about how we are a bit sex-obsessed in this culture. And in our culture... We are saturated in this idea that we need to pursue romantic love at all costs. Whether it be in TV, in the dramas and sitcoms we watch, in the music industry, in Hollywood, in magazines, whatever it might be, we're fed this idea that you really do need to have romance and sex in your life. Otherwise, you're seriously missing out. It's hard to escape. When did we last see a movie where there was a successful bachelor or spinster content with a single life? When did we last see that movie where they were actually like, I'm quite happy being single, I'm not going to pursue a relationship, and I'm very successful and happy? There's not many of those movies out there. Our culture doesn't portray that singleness or celibacy is a plausible way of living. So we've got this idea from culture that there's something wrong with you 
if you're not pursuing romantic love or if you're a virgin. In our culture, there's a pressure to have sex and a pressure to define ourselves by our sexuality. That's why people define their identity by their sexuality, saying, I am gay, or I am straight, or I am bisexual. It's their identity revolves around their sexual orientation. There's a pressure for us to do that. Now, I want to recommend to you, at this point, a really excellent book called The Plausibility Problem, which is by a guy called Ed Shaw. You can get this online. Ed Shaw is a man who experiences same-sex attraction. He's attracted to other men. And yet he's living a lifestyle that is single and celibate. And he says this in this book, which is excellent. The thing that defines me most in my life is not my sexuality, but my status in Christ as a son of God. Who is the true Ed Shaw? Not as society around me defines me, not even as I see myself, but the Ed Shaw who is both seen and defined by God as his son. I think that's really helpful. It's a trap that we fall into. We let society dictate to us that firstly, it's tragic if you live a life of celibacy. And that secondly, you are defined by it. So why we have films like The 40-Year-Old Virgin, which many of us will have seen, where this guy is seen as an absolute loser because he's got to the age of 40 and he's never had sex before. We must not let the culture around us define who we are. Our identity, if we have placed our faith in Jesus, is as children of God, sons and daughters of God. So firstly, the culture can dictate to us. Secondly, the church can dictate to us. I've said already that from the Bible, we could not get this idea that singleness is somehow inferior. But sadly, the church can communicate that. The church, whether it be this church or other churches that you've been part of, can communicate to you that marriage is preferable and that singleness is plan B. If it's been communicated in this church, then we need to say sorry to you. Because it's not right. It's not something that you find in the scriptures. It can be communicated by the church in a couple of ways. Firstly, by neglecting to speak on singleness. The Bible has lots to say about singleness. Good stuff to say about singleness. And if the church neglects to preach on it, then we're actually backing up the idea of the world that singleness is tragic. And that celibacy is not preferable. So it can be done by simply not saying anything at all. Or, as my friend who I spoke to recently said this, it can be that the church actually communicates it in other ways. My friend said this, I know it's not the case, but it feels like most leaders in this church are married. It feels like single people can't lead. Sometimes a church, just through the way in which it brings people into various Areas of leadership can actually communicate that singleness is inferior and that marriage is superior. It can be communicated that singleness is plan B and that is not biblical. It is not in the Bible. So I want to dispel myth number two, which is this, that single people can't be leaders. Let's read on in 1 Corinthians, shall we? Let's read verses 32 to 35. Paul says this, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order 
and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul is saying here, in terms of devotion to the Lord, you are better off being single. Singleness doesn't restrict you. It enables you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with undivided devotion. Marriage can get in the way. We can get concerned about other things. Whereas whilst you are single, you can serve the Lord with undivided devotion. When you get married, life changes. This week um, was quite a busy week for me and for Sarah, my wife. Uh, every night this week, um, we've had people over in our, in our home and we love hosting and um, serving God in that way. And tonight I, I was asked to, to, to go to something to share the gospel with some people. And I said, no, I can't. I need to spend some time with my wife. It's important that I'm investing in her and investing in our marriage because ultimately that's better in the long term for this church, being one of the leaders of it. I need to invest in her. I need to take, spend time with her. I had to say no. Now, if I was single, I could have said yes had I wanted to. Of course, I could have taken into account my tiredness or anything like that and said no, but it's my, only my considerations I had to take into account if I was single. I had to say no. And in the coming years, there'll be things where I have to taxi my children around, no doubt, as I have interests and clubs they have to go to. And no doubt, many of you know that experience who have just gone, gone ahead of me in the, in the way of parenting. And you have to consider their needs as well. And actually, you can't say yes to everything as you might have been able to do before. So single people can be effective, fruitful for God and for the advance of the gospel, and sometimes more so. Some of my single friends are the most incredible gospel spreaders, gospel ministers I know. Going for it, discipling others, serving others. I've got a friend of mine, good friend of mine, actually, serving in North Africa currently. She's in a country where it's a Muslim-majority nation, and it's illegal to be a Christian and to um, spread news about Jesus to people. And she's gone there, and uh, she's a single lady serving God in, a, in an amazing way. She couldn't have gone there had she had children. She couldn't have gone there necessarily if she had to convince her husband that living in a desert was a good idea. It's possible to be more free to do what God has called you to do if you're single. So I want to call each one of you who are single to leadership, to, to lead in the church, to lead yourself well, to pursue God with everything you have. And as you do that, others will follow you in that. That's a, that's a simple formula of leadership I've spoken about many times here. If you follow God, if you lead yourself well, others will follow you. It's as simple as that. Whether you're married or single, please, please, can I ask you to do that? Can I ask you to step up and lead. You, you do not have to be married to be a leader in this church. If we've communicated that in any way, then again, we're sorry. And it's not right that we've communicated that. You can be single and doing wonderful things for God in this church and in this town. In fact, you can be sometimes more effective for God than those who are married. Please don't uh, wait for us as leaders to come and say, will you lead this small group or will you lead this ministry? Please don't wait for that, because the likelihood is we're probably looking at your life and thinking, actually, I don't want to load up too much more, and then they've got a lot on their plate. But if you're, if you're there, if you're here today and thinking, you know, I would love to lead whatever ministry it might be, I'd love to help with this, or whatever it might be, we're probably thinking you're too busy and we don't want to load anything more on your shoulders. 
But if you're thinking, I've been overlooked here because I'm single, please come and speak to us and say, I really want to serve God in this way. Think about the Apostle Paul. He was able to break ground in places for the gospel where it was frankly dangerous. There were times when even by prophecy, he was warned not to go to places. He was able to go to places even against the warning of his friends because there were some dangerous places that he was going to go to where he was going to be arrested and tortured. But he was able to go and he didn't have to consider, if I die, my family are not going to be provided for. He was able to be effective for Jesus. So you need to know, if you're a single person here, that there is potential in you to disciple others and make much of Jesus and to make him really famous in this town and in the nations of this world. And you can be more effective in that sometimes because you are single. All you need to make godly, mature Christians is godly, mature Christians. That's the one requirement. So pursue God, pursue maturity in him and disciple others. And you will lead in the church and in the kingdom of God. Are you pursuing him? Young men and women here, what do our teenagers and children need? They need role models. They need role models. We've got a great youth work here. A whole bunch of them right now meeting in another room here. 15 to 20 of them. And they need role models who will show them what it's like to be a young man or woman of God. There's children downstairs in the groups downstairs who in the years to come are going to be teenagers themselves and they're going to need role models. You don't have to be cool. You don't have to have it all together and know everything about youth culture to be able to disciple them. You just have to take an interest because generally young people find people in their 20s and 30s really cool. So you can have a legacy without even having children. Legacy is important. What are you going to leave behind Legacy is, is hugely important, but it doesn't have to come through having children of your own. You can leave a legacy in people's lives by discipling them. Sarah and I were involved in youth work um, for about eight years in our previous church in Southampton. And we, just on a voluntary basis, we plowed our dozens, hundreds of hours of time into young men and women, discipling them, helping them through um, the various difficult stages of, teenage, of the teenage years. And now we can see dozens of these young men and women just going on strong with God. Next, uh, next week or two weeks' time, going to a wedding of a young guy, a disciple from the age of 13 to the 19, 20 kind of age. He's now getting married. It makes me feel a bit old. And it's so good to see that the investment, what I, what I have invested in him is now continuing. You can have a legacy and not have children of your own. It's possible. And this is multiplied not just amongst teenagers, but if you're an older person here, you can have a legacy even if you don't have children. You can plow wisdom into people. Leverage your singleness by making disciples, by making disciples for Jesus. It's a gift. All of the gifts that we read about in 1 Corinthians are for the building up of others, for the building up of the church. You can leverage the gift of singleness for the building up of others, for plowing time and wisdom into people. If the church is putting across that singles cannot be effective leaders, then it's ignoring a whole bunch of this book where single men and women did great things for God. We need men and women across this church to step up into leadership. We're going to continue to grow. This family is going to continue to grow and we need more and more leaders in every area of church life. So please do not believe this myth that single people can't be leaders. Please Hear this. I want just to re recommend another book to you, uh, which is called Single Mission, 
thriving as a single person in cross-cultural mission. This is about cross-cultural mission, i.e. going to another culture. Um, Many of you will will have that calling on your life. Some will feel called to stay here in the UK, stay in Ipswich and reach people. Many of the principles in this book will still apply to you if you want to reach people in this country. It's really about how to live as a single person on mission for Jesus. And our very own Alison Allen is one of the authors of this book. Um, If you get this book, look for Alison Clark, because that is uh, what her maiden name was. She's now married after a long, long time uh, living as a single person. So really excellent book for helping people who want to lead and further the kingdom of Jesus Christ as a single person. Okay, third myth. Single people aren't complete. Morris tackled this a little bit last week. There's a young lady uh, in our church who said this, I can't help thinking I'm missing out by not having sex. Surely God would not have for me a sexless existence. We're in a culture where we speak about having a better half or she's my other half. I'm not against using that language, but it isn't very helpful if we think the connotations of it that might be actually we're not complete. We haven't met our other half. The idea that there's something within us that is missing unless we find a partner is false. You will not find a man or woman that will complete you. You will not. You will not find a man or woman that will complete you. We, we are only complete when we come to know Jesus Christ. We come to know our Father in heaven through him. That's how we become complete. Jesus was complete. Jesus offered life in all its fullness. John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, I've come that they might have life and life to the full. He can only offer life in all its fullness if he's got it, right? He can only offer something that he's already got. He knew life in all its fullness, and he was fully human, celibate, and lived life to the full. If we say that romantic fulfillment is intrinsic to human fullness, then we deny the humanity of Jesus. And the Bible is very, very clear that he was fully man and fully God. So if we say that you need to have sex in order to really be fully human or to have romantic love to really be fully human, then we're denying that Jesus was actually fully human. He was not missing out by being celibate. The Bible is very clear on that. You're not incomplete if you're a virgin. You're not incomplete if you're not married. Singleness is not an inferior or superior status to marriage. The Bible holds it in high regard. We need to be mindful, friends. We need to be uh, really just on the lookout for the fact that this culture says it is tragic if you haven't had sex. Society grossly overvalues sex. Don't believe everything you read. Don't believe everything you read. It's good, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Ed Shaw, again, from this book that I recommended earlier, I hear that sex can be great, but if I die a virgin... I will not be missing out. The eternal consummation of my relationship with Jesus will be far greater than the consummation of any human relationships. The latter will always lead to death and mourning and crying and pain. The former will bring nothing but everlasting joy. He's saying here, what I could experience on earth if I pursued my sexual orientation is nothing in comparison to the relationship that we consummated in eternity, knowing Jesus forever, being with Jesus forever. He's saying nothing compares. You need to have an eternal perspective. If you're a single person here, you need to have an eternal perspective. Death is not the end of you. 
Death is not the end of you. Your life on this earth is like the cover of this Bible. Eternity is like the rest of the Bible and some. This life is but a flash in the pan compared to eternity. Jesus was probably tempted to settle down and have kids. He probably was tempted in that way. Temptation, being tempted is not a sin. Jesus was without sin. He was probably tempted to settle down and have kids. He lived in a patriarchal society where it was a shame on you if you didn't have someone who would be your heir, who would take your estate when you died. So he may well have been tempted in that way, to think, I'll settle down, have a wife and kids. No, that wasn't the plan that God had for his life. And he, for the joy set before him, he was obedient to God. For the joy set before him, he was obedient to God. There was a greater reward set before him. He had an eternal perspective. You're not half a person if you're single. You're not half a person if you're not having sex. So, I've painted this morning that the celibate single lifestyle is plausible. It really is plausible, but it requires two things. Firstly, it requires that eternal perspective. It requires an eternal perspective that says, whatever suffering I go through now is ultimately worth it. It's ultimately nothing in comparison to the everlasting joy that I will experience with my creator in eternity. It requires that eternal perspective. But it requires this as well. It requires authentic community. Singleness is not a problem. Loneliness is. Loneliness is a problem. God, when he created mankind, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, we, we've often thought that that is solely about marriage because then he creates the woman and they get married. It's about community. It's about community. We need, we are, we are designed to feel like something is missing if we're not living in community with others. We're designed to feel like there's a massive hole if we're not in close-knit, intimate community with others. So if you're a single person here today, you need to be in community. You need family and married people here. We need to be part of that. We need to be a part of that. So I'm just going to present four challenges as we've got a few minutes remaining. First challenge is this. Are you basing your identity on being in Christ or in your relationship status? Do you categorize people into unmarried and married? Do you see yourself as primarily straight or primarily gay, whatever it might be? Or even as primarily black or white or Asian? Where's your primary identity? Is it as middle class or as working class? Or what job you do? How do you ident- where is your identity found? We are to find, if we're, if we're Christians here, we're to find our identity first and foremost in the fact that we are sons and daughters of God because of Jesus. That is how we base our identity. So can I challenge you? How are we defining ourselves? Challenge number two, are you pursuing God with undivided devotion? This is something that Paul talks about in the passages that we've read today. He said that if you're single, you're able to pursue God with undivided devotion. Are you doing that? If you're single for whatever reason, whether it's because you're widowed or divorced or that you've never married, are you pursuing God with undivided devotion? Is he number one? You know, when I was single, I, I got this wrong in some ways. I wasn't promiscuous in that I slept with lots of people, but I, was, I flirted with people. 
And I led people on. I led people to believe that I was more interested than I really was. Because it felt good. It felt good to have people like me, to have people pay attention to me in that way. And I, I hurt a couple of people. That wasn't living out life in devotion to God. That wasn't honoring Jesus. That wasn't showing people through my singleness that Jesus was enough for me, that Jesus was the one I was living for. I made some mistakes in that area. For the Apostle Paul, singleness didn't mean an opportunity to just sleep around. No, it was so that he could be devoted to God, so that he could show that Jesus is much more worthy than anything else the world can offer. Singleness can be lived out in a beautiful way. Singleness can be lived out in a way that is pointing people to Jesus, not pointing people to ourselves, not in a way in which we hurt people and use people. Live out your single life in devotion to God. Are we devoted to him? Thirdly, what are you looking to to complete you? That's a challenge. This is a challenge for all of us, whether married or single. What are we looking to to satisfy us, to complete us? We're called to live in a content way. Philippians, we're going to go through the book of Philippians in a few months' time. There's a famous verse in there which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many times have we quoted that verse or had that on a fridge magnet or on the back of a car? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's about contentment. It's about being content in all circumstances. If you read the context of those verses, it's about contentment. It's about in, no matter what is going on in my life, whether I have lots or nothing, whether I'm single or married, whether I'm rich or poor, whatever it might be, I'm going to be content in God because Jesus enables me to do that. He enables me to be content no matter what the circumstance. We need to audit our own hearts. We need to audit our own hearts. We need to look at our hearts and say, am I content? Am I living in contentment? Usually, usually discontentment is at the root of sin in your life. It's this attitude that says, I deserve more. I deserve more. I don't have enough. Is that lurking in the background of your heart? I'm asking all of us here. Is that lurking in the background of our hearts? Because if it's left to linger, if it's left to fester, it will produce unholy living. This, this attitude that says, I deserve more. So audit your heart. If you, if you are looking for a relationship for the right reasons and not putting expectations on the relationship that simply it cannot meet, then go for it and pursue marriage if that is what you want to do. But don't look to see that marriage will, will provide for you something that it cannot. Jesus alone completes us. Jesus alone and relationship with him brings contentment and satisfaction in our lives. If you're pursuing marriage, you don't have to have it all together before you get married. Sometimes I've spoken to friends of mine who have said, I want to be earning £45,000 a year before I get married because I want to be able to provide for my family. And so they delay marriage unnecessarily. Now, I can see some wisdom in wanting to be able to have an income and so on. I get that. But some people think, I, I'm not in the right place now. I need to finish my studies first or I need to, you know, we need to buy a house first or I need to do this, that and the other first before we get married and actually delay marriage unnecessarily or delay even pursuing a relationship because they don't feel they're in the right place yet. You'll never be really, really ready. Those that you look to, and you, if you're wanting to get married, and you think, oh, I really want to be like that couple. I'd love to have a marriage that is like that couple. 
You know, that, that couple that you look up to and think, I'd love to base my future marriage on them, that couple didn't have it all together when they first got married. Believe me, they didn't have it all together. So if you're looking to get married, if you're looking to pursue that, make sure that your heart is content. Make sure that you're not looking to, for marriage to do something that it cannot. Fourth challenge, which is for all of us, are we honouring singleness? Are we honouring singleness? Last week, Morris spoke so helpfully about honouring marriage, how marriage should be honoured by all. Are we honouring singleness as a church family? Are we doing that? Are we providing an environment where people see that it is plausible to live a single lifestyle? Are we providing that environment where people feel they have family and intimacy without needing to have a spouse or children of their own? Are we providing that environment? Singles and married here, are we doing that? Are we pursuing intimacy? Are we pursuing relationship with people? Are we pursuing that partnership that we spoke about earlier this year? That as a church, we would be a church of small groups. Not a church that just happens to have small groups, but we would a church where people are really knitted in together well. Are we pursuing that? Are we honouring singleness in that way? We need to show people that intimacy is ultimately found in Jesus and then through his body, the church. People need to hear that. So let's be family. We were growing family. I celebrate the fact that this room is pretty much full and we've just multiplied to two services. God is doing something amazing amongst us. He's doing something amazing, but we must not lose the sense of family. It's possible. Morris said the other week, did he not, that as the early church in Acts grew by thousands in a day, they were still able to meet in others' homes. Obviously, not everyone altogether. That would be crazy. But we're still able to pursue genuine relationship with others. Are we spending time with people who are not like us? Or do we just hang out with people who are just like us? Married people, are you just spending time with other married people? Because it's easy and you've got common things to talk about. Single people, are you just spending time with other single people because it's easy? Are you seeking others who are not like you to spend time with? Because you need other people who are not like you to challenge you and shape you and change you and help you. You need it. Are you hanging out with just people of the same race as you? Or the same social status are you are we diverse in our cult, in our church culture here let's seek that together i want to read to you that this uh, just a last quote from this guy ed shaw i found super helpful and then after that we're going to sing as we finish and we've got a few minutes to do that listen to this i know that many people will think that it will be a great tragedy if i die as a virgin I hope I will, because I know that I will have not lost out on anything too significant, because the Bible teaches me that I will have missed only the brief foretaste that sex is meant to be of the eternal reality of the perfect union between Christ and the church that I will experience forever. That is an amazing quote. Should we stand together and pray? Ask God to help us. Just to say as well, in just a moment, we're going to offer people prayer. Maybe you would like prayer for something. Maybe it's about to do with something that I've spoken about this morning or something that came through during the worship time. We had some words about God lifting people out of a pit, picking people up. Maybe you would like prayer concerning those things. It's not solely about what I've spoken about today. There will be a prayer team who are just starting to gather at the back. 
So as we worship together, um, there'll be an opportunity to receive prayer. But let's pray together now, shall we? Let's just focus our minds on God. Father God, we look to you to be our source of satisfaction. We say, God, you alone offer fullness of life. You alone offer completion, (laughs) the sense of completeness. You alone, Father, we declare that together today. And we do pray, Lord, that for those of us who are single here, that we would be devoted to the Lord, that we'd be devoted to him in everything. I pray for those of us who are married, that we will be devoted to God. I do pray, Lord, that we would, through our lives, through the way we live our lives, that we will show that Jesus is enough for us. That we will show that Jesus Christ has provided for us everything we really need. I pray that we'd live with an eternal mindset. That we'd live to see that this life is tiny in comparison to the eternity that is ours. That is certainly ours in Christ. I do pray that we'd live with an eternal mindset, with everything. Lord, as we give money in a couple of weeks' time, Lord, I pray for my heart, I pray for our hearts, that we would see this life is temporary. Eternity is what we're living for. I do pray that we would be concerned with eternity. Lord, as we give in a couple of weeks' time, I pray you'd stir up generosity amongst us, in my heart and in all of our hearts. Lord God, we want to be devoted only to you. Lord God, I do pray that you will help us. Help us to get our hearts right. Help us as a church to provide the family that is so important. I pray that we would be a good Christ-centered community that reflects Jesus to this community. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way. 